Grassland, you have sent it out once again to Combat Sports Rhino, episode 148. Oh, we've got ourselves a real big one today, fam. The the first female fighter to ever step foot in the octagon for a UFC fight. The current Bellator 125-pound champion, WMMA pioneer, Liz Girl-Rilla Carmouche is going to be going 10 rounds around a little bit later on the show. I can't wait for you guys to check that one out. She is so awesome. I loved it. So that's a little bit later on in the show. We're going to start out with our full in-depth breakdown of last night's massive UFC 280. We'll have our drops of the night. Picks for fight night, Cater versus Allen next week. Q&A with the Rhino Gang, which are a bevy of awesome questions. Then, as I said, the first ever female competitor in the UFC, Bellator 125-pound champion. I, I just can't say enough good things about her. Liz Girl Rilla Carmouche goes 10 rounds around. So, APB, without further ado, let's go ahead and get our swim trunks and our flippy floppies on and dive right in. Our first fight from uh, Abu Dhabi at UFC 280 last night was Carl Hosa versus Lena Landsberg. A straight right hand from Landsberg dropped Rosa very momentarily, right? She got up, initiated some clinch work. There was lots of trip uh, uh, takedowns from Rosa. She had a lot of top control, a lot of cage control. This was really Carl Hosa, I thought, um, throughout the majority of the fight. It ended up being a majority decision for Carl Hosa, but I mean, the right person wants that's all, all that matters at 135 pounds. Moving into our second fight at 125, we had Mohamed Mukayev, who was a like super hot prospect versus very tough Malcolm Gordon from Canada. This one was interesting because Mohammed did a good job, especially in the first round of taking Malcolm down and having top control, but he really wasn't doing much with it, right? He wasn't landing any significant ground and pound. He wasn't really close to any submissions. Malcolm Gordon did a good job uh, reversing at the end of the first and trying to, you know, do a late choke. There was lots more scrambles. There was some good reversals. Mohammed had no problem taking Malcolm down, but Malcolm did a great job of reversing, getting up. Again, the, the third round was the most competitive, I thought. Immediate takedown for Mohamed Makayev. There was a really big suplex from Malcolm Gordon. And then right, I mean, that was like 15 seconds left or something in the third. Mohamed Makayev got the uh, got the arm bar sunk in and tapped Malcolm Gordon out. Not the most exciting fight in the world, but still a very hot prospect at 125, Mohamed Makayev. Moving into 185, we had Armin Petrosian versus A.J. Dobson. This one was interesting because I was really looking forward to a fight that really took place in the middle of the cage that was going to be striking. And this was um, Armin Petrosian is a top, top, top tier kickboxer with a great skill set on the feet. AJ Dobson is no joke. He did a really good job, much less experience, but did a good job of staying you know, away from the super power shots. But again, this one kind of reminded me of a sparring session in that they were both throwing. I mean, Petrosian, they were both boxing well. Petrosian was kind of landing more kicks. He was landing kicks to the legs, kicks to the body, kicks to the head. But again, nothing significant landed enough where it was going to like change the fight, stop the fight, begin a finishing sequence. It was really kind of, I'll hit you a couple times and we'll back up. And then you throw a couple at me and we'll back up and circle off. And I don't know, it just really never had that sense of urgency, which I really love to see in a fight. So uh, Armin Petrosian got the clear-cut UD in that one versus AJ Dobson at 185. Moving into 170 pounds, we have Abukar Nurmagomedov versus Gazi Omar Gaziev. Woo! I fucking landed the first try, APB. <laughs> <laughs> so early on, Gazi got the takedown. Nurmagomedov um, got the reversal, got on top. <clears throat> Not much damage was done. And then in the second, um, Abukar Nurmagomedov got the takedown. He landed a legal knee. Uh, Gazi was okay. They kind of started to you know, get back after it again. And the third, uh, there was a little bit more stand-up and really nothing... Nothing really significant landed in this one either. Uh, you know, not the most exciting fight in the world, but um, I'm going to say the names perfectly again. Watch this. Abukar Nurmagomedov beats Gazi Omar Gaziev by UD in that one. <laughs> <laughs> All Good right. Job. Uh, thank you very much. A little pat on my old back here. Uh, let's get into our fifth fight, which was Nikita Krylov versus Vulcan Olsenmir. And by God, APB, thank goodness. Business picked up here. Nikita Krylov comes storming across the cage. Him and Vulcan are both throwing huge, wide, looping shots that are landing, dude. They're both hurting each other. Uh, Krylov then got cracked by Vulcan. Um, you know, that kind of hurt him. He, he took a knee to the face uh, that hurt Vulcan. Uh, literally, like, 
the whole first, I don't know, maybe one or two minutes was just insanity, and I loved it. Great first round, real back and forth. Both guys landing a ton of shots. Um, towards the end of the first round, Vulcan got set back with a really nice three or four punch combo from Nikita. This sent him kind of back into the cage, and I think, I think from that point on, uh, Nikita Krylov was really in control between the body kicks, uh, the takedowns, the combinations he was landing. Vulcan did a good job of not you know, getting submitted or knocked out. But besides that, this was really all Nikita Krylov, especially in the second and the third. So UD uh, was given to Krylov in that one. That was the right call for sure. Moving in 185 pounds with Kyle Bahio versus um, Mahmoud Muradov. There was a couple of nice exchanges early. Kyle got the takedown. Uh, there was a really hard up kick. <laughs> they got everybody kind of got everybody's attention. Muradov ended up on top. There was a guillotine attempt from Kyle that looked really, really close. Uh, Muradov got out of it, ended up on top. A takedown for Muradov, but then a reversal for Kyle. It was a really fun back and forth fight. I enjoyed this one. Uh, Kyle Bahio has now uh, got the UD in that one. He has now, I believe, won 11 or 12 fights in a row. He's on a really good win streak over uh, Mohamed Mahmoud Muradov. Okay. We're going to go ahead and get our seventh fight, which was, again, I wanted, I was, I've been so high on Sean Brady for so long, and I really thought that. He was going to use his wrestling against Bilal Muhammad because we know what Bilal does. He is super high cardio. He runs forward. He punches and bunches, and he is an all-pressure fighter. I thought Sean Brady was going to be able to level change, take him down. This fight was on the feet, dude. This fight was completely on the feet. And in the first round, Sean Brady was getting the better of Bilal Muhammad. He cut him open. He was landing really hard straights. At one point, he landed three or four straight right hands like over and over again to Bilal's face. And then the second round, dude, the jabs and the leg kicks for Brady were starting to go again. And then a big right hand from Bilal started a beautiful several punch combination that Sean Brady could not recover from. Bilal Muhammad kept pouring it on and really landing with accurate uh, right and left hands. Sean Brady was not defending himself. He was kind of out on his feet. Mercifully, the referee stopped it. I thought it was a good stoppage. Um, so Bilal Muhammad gets a huge win via TKO over Sean Brady in what was the featured prelim from last night. Moving into the main card, we had Manon Ferro versus Caitlin Chukagian at 125 pounds. This one was like, it was one of those fights where APB, they were such mirror images of each other, right? Both yeah, tall, they both were. lanky, trying to stay on the outside from each other, kind of throwing looping shots, um, you know, and, and I thought Caitlin did a good job of landing a little bit more accurately early, and then Manon kind of came on for the rest of the rounds, both two and three. She was doing a... I'm not going to say more aggressive, but she was being a little bit more um, busy than Caitlin Chukagan, and she was landing a little bit more accurately. Both of them were throwing leg kicks, leg you know, body kicks, punches, but Manon was really starting to be a little bit more accurate than Caitlin, both in the second and the third, so she got the UD in that one over Caitlin Chukagan at 125. Moving into our next one, which is 155 pounds, which I was very much looking forward to, Mateusz Gamra versus Benil Daryush. This one finally gave us, like, some big explosive moves, right? Some knockdowns and some big heavy shots that were landing. Some crazy scrambles, dude. Oh, my gosh. Both of these yeah. guys were so good when they would go to the ground on, you know, trying to reverse each other and getting out of things. Gamrod had a couple of nice sub attempts. But Neil Darius was really, that uppercut was landing really hard. And then that big, humongous shot, which put I thought was going to put Mateusz out. He just fucking got floored. <laughs> Did like a backwards tuck and roll and then jumped forward <laughs> trying to get a double leg on Benil Darius. What a fun back and forth, interesting fight that that was at 155. Benil Darius got the absolutely warranted uh, unanimous decision in that one over Tage Gamrot. But man, what a fun fight at 155. Moving into, oh gosh, okay, okay. We're going to do it. We're going to talk about it. We had Petri Jan, Piotr Jan, I should say, versus Sugar Sean O'Malley. Okay, in the <laughs> uh, APB really summed it up quite well just then. Um, basically, to me, okay, and I know there is a great deal of support from my angle on this. There's also some people who are detractors or naysayers from it, but Piotr Jan took Sean O'Malley down a lot. Piotr oh, wow. Jan, when he was on top, didn't do a ton of damage, I will grant you. But top control means something. It was like six minutes of top control in a 15-minute fight. When they were on the feet, the biggest shots, the ones that were the most devastating, the ones that did the most impact, the most damage, were done by Piotr Jan. Sugar Sean did a very nice job with his jab. 
He had some very nice kicks. Sugar Sean did a good job, and I gave he him. He had Yawn in trouble a little bit at one point, too. <laughs> I, gave to I, I gave him a round. I did. I gave him a round. I did, too. So, again, Piotr Yawn very, very clearly. And I mean very clearly. I mean crystal clear, beautiful ocean clear, beat Sean O'Malley in two of the three rounds that they fought. Somehow, some way, the judges saw it differently. They gave Sugar Sean the split decision. Over Piotr Jan, I I don't know how. It's just one of those things. I think it's because I mean the only thing you can say is because you know Piotr Jan was bloodier, so I guess they thought maybe he took more damage. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of because I agree with you. I thought that it was unanimous for Jan. Sugar Sean did in fact land a few more shots. I mean it was very minimal, but they did land a few more strikes. But again, I thought this was. Mixed martial arts where, you know, takedown and top control meant something. You know what I mean? It's not my it's not my favorite aspect of the game by any stretch of the imagination. But when you take a guy down over and over again and you hold him down, again, he should have done more. He should have been more active. He should have tried to land more, you know, shots. But at the end of the day, the eye test proved to you know, the vast majority of us, I would say easily 80 to 85 percent of us, was that Piotr Jan won the fight. But he didn't get the decision. Yeah, it's a tough one to get through and watch. But now Piotr Jan is now like what one in four or one in three. I don't four know. Fights. Not Sad. not a good. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Maybe so. they don't. Do they give judges eye tests? Maybe they don't. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know for sure. Let's see, I don't know for sure. But I, <laughs> yeah, let's just move forward with that because I, I, there's no way I can fully articulate this how whole card. Yeah, I feel was. like I feel like this whole card. I got like three <laughs> lady boners, but I never came. <laughs> The whole, the whole card. At the end of it, I was just like... I was uh, not ready for that. If you, <laughs> that was a hard left hook that I did not see. Okay, <laughs> let's get into our co-main event. We had TJ Dillashaw versus champion Aljamain Sterling. Now, this was Aljo from the very moment this fight began. He got a really hard... Um, he got a hard takedown. He got the ground and pound going. He tried the rear naked choke in the first round to no avail, but... What we didn't know at the time was apparently TJ had had a very um, pop-out shoulder all through camp. Like you said, it popped out 20-plus times. We didn't know this until after the fact, right? But on that, even that first takedown, you can see TJ's shoulder was fucked, and he couldn't, he couldn't use it. It was out. It was messed up. It was jacked up. It was bad. And Aljamain Sterling, threw, uh, he did what he's supposed to do. He, he, you know, yeah. I mean, they exchanged some body kicks in the second, another takedown for Aljo back on top. Um, then they got back up, but then back down with a trip takedown, started landing some really hard ground and pound again. There was, you know, there was TJ had no fight left in him, dude. He had one arm. He was getting beat up by, by Aljo. And yeah, Aljo got the TKO in the second round. Again, it's one of those deals where I thought TJ was going to win by a decision, um, because I thought he was going to use his footwork and stick and move the whole time. But th- this wasn't the TJ that I remember. Yeah. He usually a- has two arms. So <laughs> this was also, a- <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> he was also a compromised TJ. Right. So there was just yeah. no way he was going to win this fight and give all credit dude, Aljamain Sterling. Oh, for he sure. He's he great. Do. He put on a great performance. I mean, absolutely championship worthy. Aljamain Sterling gets the TKO and retains his belt at 135. So let's go into the Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira fight, which I know you're super stoked about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So a jump kick, which was kind of fun by Oliveira's to start the fight. Uh, Islam took him down, got on top. There was a beautiful hip toss, which I always love to see those when they, you know, interesting toss or interesting slams happen. And so there was a nice uh, hip toss, got the takedown, got some more ground and pound. There was some more clinch work against the cage in the second. And then Islam threw a beautiful one-two. Dropped Bronx with the right hand on the two. Followed him down to the ground. Got the, got, the, got the arm triangle with his arms locked up right away. And then had to work a little bit to get his body over to the correct side. Once, as soon as he passed, right, you know, got over to the one side, Charles Oliveira tapped out. So submission in the second round via arm triangle. New champion at 155 pounds, Islam Makachev. Um, yeah, it was pretty, I mean, it was easy to break down. It was pretty one-sided. I, I love Charles Oliveira. I know I you do too. too. Mm-hmm. I think he's a fantastic fighter. I think, you know, we've got a great, we got a couple great questions about him a little later, but this one was Islam Makachev from start to finish. There was no question. No, oh, well, this could happen. This could happen. No, no, no. The much better fighter won. 
Yeah. The much the, the the guy who deserves to be champion now has the belt. That's really all that breaks down to uh, for sure. So I actually went eight and four last night, and I started out like six and zero. Oh, so clearly on the prelims, I had it dialed in, and then as per usual, the wheels fell off later. <laughs> <laughs> Took a bunch of losses, but eight and four isn't so bad. So all right, so let's go ahead and get our drops of the night. I'm actually going to go with the one that started the finishing sequence, which was uh, Islam Makachev dropping Charles Oliveira and then following him down to the ground for that arm triangle sub. But yeah, he dropped him clean with that straight right hand. So my drop of the night is from uh, Islam Makachev. Did you have a different one, APB? I'm not going to pick one because there weren't there weren't any drops that I that I wanted to give an award to. So I'll just let you you have yours. I got you. You'll you will abstain from this particular. Yes. Uh, top of the day. <laughs> okay. Really so next week it. we've got the train keeps on a roll. We've got uh, UFC Fight Night Cater versus Allen. We got a couple of Rhino Gang on the card. I'm going to go with uh, 185. I've got Josh Freem, uh Rhino Gang over Treshawn Gore by unanimous decision. What about you? Um, I have Josh with the RNC in round three. APB loves a finish and we respect it. All right. Moving into uh, heavyweight, we've got Jared Vandera. Versus Waldo Cortez Acosta. I've got Jared Vandera winning by third round TKO. And it's going to be up against the cage. It's going to be knees to the body, short elbows, like a barrage. Up against the cage in the clinch. Third round TKO, Jared Vandera. What about you? I have Cortez Acosta with the KO in round one. Ooh, round one KO. All right. Moving into 205, I love this fight. I think this fight could be the one that we're like, oh, my God, until it's over. Khalil Roundtree versus Dustin Jacoby. I think it's going to be a, a crazy battle until it's fucking over. I'm going to go second round, TKO, Khalil Roundtree. What about you? The, this one was the one that I was going back and forth on, too, and I think it will be exciting. And I picked exactly the same thing that you did, Roundtree, KO, or, yeah, in round two. I think I got TKO because I don't think Justin's going to or Dustin's going to oh, sleep. Oh, TKO. Oh, you, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I have a KO. Then I have a You got the KO. <laughs> okay. My bad. No, no, no. We're all good. So moving into 170 pounds, I got Max Griffin beating Tim Dirty Bird Means. Um, I've got this one by third round TKO. That's TKO three for Max Griffin. What about you? Okay. I have Griffin TKO round two. Very cool. Moving into 145 for our main event. Now, this is a tough one. Arnold Allen is a extremely skilled young prospect fighter. And I think he has all the skill set in the world to beat Calvin Cater on any given night. Calvin Cater, we've seen him in some incredible brawls. We've seen him, you know, absorb more strikes than any human being has ever taken. I yeah. the UFC. Oh my gosh. I think this is going to be the fucking, the, the fight where Calvin Cater really shows his whole skill set. I think he is kind of, just this is the right situation at the right time. Calvin Cater wins this main event by a unanimous decision. UD for Calvin Cater over Allen. What about you, APB? Well, I'm a big Calvin Cater fan. Okay, so some of his uh, last fights have been kind of heartbreaking for me. So if he doesn't win this one, I think I might just quit UFC forever. But um, <laughs> so because my heart can't take much more. But um, I picked uh, him to win by KO in round four. KO four. All right. We have a bevy, as I said in the intro, of really good questions. And I can't wait to dive into them. I know our first one comes from our dear homie, the Razor Street Potato from up in Canada Way. RSP, what do you got for us this week, my dude? Okay, he says, as a combat sports fan, which type of fight is worse? Two young prospects you really like fighting each other. <coughs> a young prospect you like versus a member of the old guard you like. Or two members of the old guard you really like fighting each other. So, dude, I looked at this question and it just jumped off the page right away. It's 100% two of the old guard that I like fighting each other. One reason is it could be the last time seeing them fight all together, right? And I don't want to, you know, I don't like doing that. I don't like seeing two old guys who I've watched for 10 years, you know, have to ride off into the sunset off of a loss. So that's one reason. Another is that obviously when someone's in the twilight of their career, they're not in their prime form, right? They're not in their top tier of what they're able to do in the cage. So, yeah, for me, it's definitely watching the two old guys. I do, I really enjoy when two young prospects um, are fighting each other early because no matter what the outcome is, they're still going to be in the UFC and they're still going to 
you know, be improving as far as their career moves moving forward. You see a lot more in boxing. At least I did. I remember on Friday night fights, that was my favorite was to see, you know, two young, like 11 and 0, 12 and 0, 13 and one kind of guys fighting each other. Cause that was a really good test early on. And I think you'd need that because there's too many guys who get their records padded more so in boxing than MMA for sure. Um, and then lastly, the one where it's like, if you have a young, a young fighter versus an old dog, I'm almost always cheering for the old dog unless the young the young lion is a rhino gang and then I'll always cheer for that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely for me. It's 100% the two old guard fighting each other. That's that's the hardest for me. So RSP, great question as always, my dude. All right, let's get into our homie, the big OG Jemison. Jim, what do you got for us this week, my guy? OG, what's going on? You bunch of fucking casuals. <laughs> I feel like I have to say that. Casuals. Oh, no. Okay, so he says, who do you think takes the strap from Islam? Right now, I don't think anyone does, OG. I mean, you got Justin, you got Benilla, you got the winner of Dustin versus Michael Chandler. Could there be a New Bronx rematch? Yeah, all these things are possible. I just don't see anybody beating Islam right now, right? I think we're in the early days of what I think will be a long title reign for Islam Makaja. I hope, you know, it was funny when I was reading this question, I thought about it. You know what I kind of hope is that like maybe in a year or two, after maybe three or four more wins, I hope Rafael Fazeev, gets in that mix because i think that would be a really interesting matchup not saying right now because i think islam would just take care of um fazeev right now but get him three or four more fights get him season get him a couple more years in the cage getting kind of comfortable with it i really like the idea of the dynamic striking of Rafael fiziev versus islam makachev i really like that one so yeah i just think he's going to hold the title islam that is is going to hold the title for a while and then you know, eventually he'll get knocked off, which everybody does. Um, but yeah, dude, I, I don't think anybody's taking it right now for real. So, uh, OG, we love having you back on. Thank you so much for writing in, my dude. All right, our third one comes from the Squeen. The Squeen? Come on. <laughs> Come on, Rhino. The Scream Queen Supreme. Our girl, Jess. Jess, what do you got for us this week? Okay, my girl Jess, she says, who is next for Sean O'Malley? That win was not a win to me, but we can't argue it. It's in the books. I'd want a Cheeto rematch, but who do you think is next? Squeen. That's not even a word. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jess, I would love for the uh, Cheeto Vera rematch, dude, and I think he would smash Sean again. But if it does somehow, some way, get him a title shot with Aljo, Aljo is going to beat the brakes off of Sean, I'm sure. Um, but again, I think what makes most sense for everything, you know, you, you have the narrative of the rematch, you have the narrative of Chito Vera off this, you know, win streak. You have that Sean really probably, according to a lot of us, didn't shouldn't have won that fight last night. So there would be a whole lot of like subplots and interest going into a Chito Vera rematch. So if, yeah, for me, it's got to be Chito, dude. It's got to be the Sugar Sean versus um, Chito, Chito Vera rematch. That's got to be it. That's the only one that makes all the sense in the world to me. So that's what I think it's going to be. And I certainly appreciate you writing that one in, Jess. You know how much we love you and we appreciate you. And I'm sorry that I called you Squeen or something earlier. Squeen. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. All right. So let's go ahead and get into another one of our girls, Ashley, the MMA nerd. Ashley, what do you got for us this week, my dear? Okay. Ashley says, despite having a loss on his record, do you think Islam's legacy will end up passing Habib's? I feel like he doesn't have the likability that Habib has or the undefeated thing, but that with his age and matchup options, Islam could have a pretty significant reign as champion. Yeah, dude, that's a tough one to really think about because like, could he ever get to that tight, like to that point where, you know, we think of as the greatest of all time in the division and yeah, does he have that skill set? I think he does. I think Habib had that thing that is hard to articulate. You know, he had that charisma. He had the skill set. He had the dominant victories. And plus, as you mentioned, he had the undefeated record, which Islam can never, you know, match exactly. But the thing about Islam that he has over Habib is that he's got that striking on the feet component that Habib never had, right? So Habib, every single fight was a takedown. It was ground and pound. It was whatever, you know, with submissions. Islam can do all that, but Islam also has really good kickboxing. And Islam can also drop you from all different kinds of angles. So I think he, I think he's going to put on maybe some more, dynamic fights he's going to have more of a fan base that enjoys the striking and the ground so i think islam can get up to that level i just have a hard time kind of envisioning people putting him as the greatest of all time he still has time to do it you're absolutely right um 
again, it's it's that it's that aspect of being able to fight and being able to win on the feet in addition to the ground that I think could maybe match him up with Habib in the end, but we'll have to see how it goes. But yeah, I'm also with you on board of he's going to fucking have a pretty long title reign. That's absolutely how I think about that. So Ashley, thank you very much, my dear. And just so everybody knows, I sang to Ashley the other night. I sang to her, and Ooh. I am not a good singer. I got you're, you're not terrible. You're, you're good. <laughs> I'm not terrible, baby, but I'm, I'm not a good singer. And I sang to Ashley the other night, and she loved it so much that she wrote in a question this week. So I appreciate you. All right. Let's get into our homie, the doc. Doc, what do you got for our fifth question this week, my guy? Okay, Doc says, I've heard you talk a bunch of times about not just adding a 105 atom weight division to the UFC, but changing the classes to on the fives, which would add 165, 175, and 195 pound weight divisions. What would be the biggest benefit of doing that? Yeah, dude, for me, it would just increase the talent pool of the UFC. Uh, more fighters would have the opportunity not just to fight in the biggest organization in the UFC, I mean, in the in MMA, but we th- they could figure out which weight class they belong in, right? Which one they perform in the, the absolute best. Three new weight classes would also mean three new champions, which would mean more title fights, which would mean the probability of seeing a title fight or two being defended on more fight nights as opposed to just pay-per-views, which I really like the idea of. I have said for a long time, it's, and a lot of other people have said this too, the, the weight classes should be on the fives, as we say, 125, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, 95, 205, right? And then I'm fine with there being the big gap between light heavyweight and heavyweight. Um, so that you're at, you, you, again, and the 105 should be added for sure, which, my God, I've said a, a million times. It would just, it would benefit everybody, I think, right? And again, people are like, well, it's going to get too big. There's going to be too big. Dude, how many fights do we see fall out? How many times do we see a fight card, like especially a fight night, that's supposed to have 14 and ends up with 10? You know what I mean? So often. So I would love a couple new weight classes, maybe bring some new life into, into the UFC. And then again, I love the idea of there being more championship fights because championships are what people are in the sport to achieve. They're what to get to. They're what they want to have. And it makes, it makes for a more fun and more enjoyable viewing for us, the audience. So yeah, those are... Those are some of the reasons I really want those things, buddy. So thank you very much. My dude, Doc. All right. We got my broski, Fabian, the man of mayhem, longtime listener. My good broski, who I love, is now entering the asking question game. Fabian, what do you got for us this week, my dude? Okay. He says, disappointed out of fights, and I got all my picks wrong. What fight slash performance surprised you most? As a follow-up question, do you think Charles gets himself in title contention again? Well, for the first part, dude, I was most surprised that Bilal was able to not just beat, but finish Sean Brady. I thought Bilal had a good chance to win, but I thought Sean Brady was going to win. But if Bilal did beat him, it was going to be on points, not by stoppage, right? So, yeah, dude, I think it's very possible that we could see Bronx rattle off a couple more wins, get right back into the title picture, get another shot at it at lightweight. But, you know, that being said, and we already talked about it. We preface this by saying we are both APB and our huge Charles Dubronx Oliveira fans. Again, I hate to beat it, you know, a dead horse, but Islam Makachev is such an incredible generational type of fighter. I think he's going to hold the 155 pound belt for a really long time. Um, I would love for Dubronx to get another shot at it and maybe, you know, at least have a better performance. You know what I mean? Where he actually, you know, lasts and takes him into deep water and has some close you know, times where maybe he could have possibly won, right? But he was just dominated last night. And I want to see him obviously have another good showing, at least against Islam if he gets another chance. But, yeah, I could definitely see him getting another shot at it for sure. So, Fabian, the man of mayhem, we certainly appreciate the question, my dude. Thank you very much. All right, let's get into our next and final um, writing question, which comes from our homie Jamal, the son of Thomas, belovedly known around here as Cyrus King from the Combat Corner. Cyrus, what do you got, dude? Okay, Cyrus says, Islam versus Volk. How do you see it going? Do you think Volk has any chance? Do you think it is weak on Islam's part calling out a smaller fighter? So, yeah, buddy, I like Volk. Um, and he obviously, he's kind of on the smaller side of even featherweight, let alone lightweight, dude. Islam's size, his length, his strength from not only like the perspective of offense, but also defense in the grappling world will be way too much for Alexander Volkanovsky, especially to handle over a five-round fight. I could definitely see how the call-out of a smaller fighter could be perceived 
as like, come on, dude, that's a weak move, right? But Volkanovski is the, is the pound-for-pound number one fighter in the entire organization. He is seen as the best overall MMA fighter in the world by the you know by the vast majority of people. So I think the motivation isn't that he's trying to get he being Islam. He's not trying to get an easy fight. I think he's trying to solidify his positioning as the pound for pound number one in not only the whole promotion, but the whole world. So that's what I think is more of um, why they want to do that. What, what we would call a super fight. And I think Islam dominates that fight. I mean, I really do. I love Volk and I think Volk is the best 145 er and he's in the top five pound for pound probably. Right. But Islam Makachev is it's just too good, too big, too strong, too well-rounded. Yeah. It would be Islam for sure. And I, that's, that's why he probably made that call on. So, yeah, that's my answer on that one. So, Cyrus, thank you so much again, my dude. Of course, check out uh, Cyrus King, also known as Jamal, the son of Thomas, McTavish Clan, I believe is what it is, on the combat corner. All kinds of great stuff, great content over there with my brother from another mother. All right. We have got three voice questions to get into, our first one and our second one. But our first one we're going to go right now comes from our homie Ty the Fly Guy from Front Kicks and Throw Cuddles. Ty, what do you got for us this week, dude? Hey, Rhino. It's Ty, your Denver Broncos loving fanatic. Uh, had a little bit of a late start watching the entire card, but I am watching the main card now. And just now noticed that uh, Man and Fro defeated Caitlin Jagan, which is kind of sad for me. Um, Besides that, so now that that fight has been decided, if you were to match up the entire women's flyweight division, at least the top five, maybe top seven, who would you match up? Let me know what you think. I love the show. I'll catch you later. Peace. All right. So I'll do the three. I'll do the three top fights at uh, women's one twenty-five. So let's have Santos run it back with Valentina. It was a split decision after all, right? Let's go Manon Faroe over with Alexa Grasso. And then let's have King Casey O'Neill step up and face the winner of Laura Murphy and Jessica Andrade. That was going to be in January. So, uh, yeah, let's do Santos-Valentina rematch. Manon Faroe versus Alexa Grasso. And then King Casey O'Neill getting the winner of Laura Murphy and Jessica Andrade. That should really sign of like, I don't know, help us figure out what's going to be the picture of 125 over the next year or so. So very good question, as always, Ty. Let's get into your second one from my dude, Ty the Fly Guy, the Denver Broncos-loving fanatic. What is your second question this week, my dude? Hey, Rhino, it's Ty again. Uh, Just another one that popped up as I'm watching uh, these fights. Um, Great performance by Bahal. Remember the name of Humming. Sorry about that. Question, what's next for him after dethroning the undefeated Sean Brady? I, mean, I think he's, what, number five in the world? So, I mean, I feel like you could pair him up with just about anyone who's not paired up yet. But, yeah, let me know what you think. Um, great performance by him. I'd like to see what he does next. And, of course, as always, I love the show. I'll catch you later, Rhino. Peace. Well, my first choice would probably be Colby because of how interesting a matchup it is between two such high-cardio guys who literally their whole game plan is to pressure you um, the entirety of the fight. And so that's probably would be my first choice for next for Bilal. But the idea of Shavkat Rachmanov is very intriguing to me. He is fighting Jeff Neal, I believe, in uh, January. And I think Shavkat will kind of run through Jeff Neal, sorry to say, but I think that's what's going to happen. So I really kind of love the idea of Shavkat Rachmanov stepping up to a fighter that we all know, that we all think is good, or that we all know, you know, is at least a contender. And uh, what would happen between Shavkat Rachmanov and Bilal? So again, first choice, and then probably more likely is probably Colby. But again, I really like to see Shavkat. So that's kind of... That's my answer on that. We're a little bit out of the box on that one. So, Ty, thank you very much, my dude. All right, our third question comes from the Juicy Fruit Bebe from the Friendly Sparring Pod. Juicy Fruit Bebe, what do you got this week, dude? Hey, what's up, Rhino? It's Juice from the Friendly Sparring Podcast. Wanted to talk to you about the featherweight division in the UFC. So we have next week headlining the UFC fight night is um, Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen. Uh, that's a very interesting matchup to me. I think the winner of that is getting a title shot. Let me know what you think about that. Sort of the matchup in general, and if you agree with me that the winner is getting a title shot. And I also want to talk about the uh, matchup that got announced recently, Mosar Ivloev versus Bryce Mitchell. Now, there's a, a lot of people that are saying Bryce Mitchell's going to maul this guy, and I'm like, bro, have you fucking seen Mosar Ivloev fight? Like, 
I think Bryce is the one getting mauled. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's certainly, you know, on the on the possible list of next contenders at 145. And I wouldn't hate on either one getting a title shot, right? So I'm hoping it's Calvin, but we'll see. So as far as Bryce goes, okay, so every time I think Bryce, Bryce Mitchell is overmatched, I think he's going to lose. I think he's going to be dominated. I think he's going to – anything. He always wins. I'm at the point now. Whereas you're not named Volkanovski or Holloway or maybe Ortega, that Bryce has a good chance to beat you. I mean, really, I think he's ranked like number 11 at this point. Um, but really, th- those three guys, Volkanovski, Holloway, Ortega, I think handle Bryce, you know, on any given night. But I think for the rest of the division, Bryce has a good chance to win. I am not a Bryce fan. I'm, a, I'm not a fan of what he says. I'm not a fan of a lot of his videos. He's an incredible fighter, especially on the ground. His his top, you know, his top position is un is unparalleled at 145. His stand-up still has a lot to be, you know, desired. However, he always gets it to the ground one way or another. Bryce Mitchell, I think, could beat anybody not named those three guys. I really do. And every time I pick against him, I'm wrong. So yeah, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> so Juice, thank you so much for that great question, my guy. Make sure you check out Juice and Leo at the Friendly Sparring Pod. Too much fun over there with those jokers. It is awesome, awesome time. All right, APB. Without any further ado, let's get into our 10 rounds of Rhino with Bellator champion Liz Carmouche after a quick word from our sponsor, KR Designs. Hey, Rhino gang, are you looking for a piece of furniture to tie the room together? Maybe make it feel a little bit more homey? How about a beautifully restored dresser for the bedroom or an end table for the family room? Well, look no further than my good friends at KR Designs. You got a piece of furniture that needs restoration? They got you covered. Looking for a new addition to your home decor that's already been beautifully done? They got you there, too. We're talking dressers, armoires, kitchen tables, cabinets, nightstands, any and all wood furniture you can think of, they've got or can get for you. So check out K&R Designs in-store at 101 West Chicago Boulevard in Tecumseh, Michigan, or on their website, knrcustomdesigns.com. Check out their Facebook page, K&R Home Deco, that's D-E-C-O, to see everything they have and the amazing work that they can do. You can also call and order at 517-605-7173. They accept PayPal, Venmo, Square, Cash, Check. They accept them all. So if you want the absolute best of the best and restorative wood furniture creators, you got to check out K&R Designs. Tell them you're a member of the Rhino Gang, and that'll get you 20% off your very first purchase. Once again, check out K&R Designs, Combat Sports with Rhinos, proud sponsor. Oh, fight fam, we got ourselves another fantastic guest going 10 rounds of Rhino today. Bellator flyweight champion of the world, Liz Gorilla Carmouche. Liz, thank you so much for taking the time today, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, we are super stoked to have you on. So basically, you know, the first round with Rhino was always the same for the fighters, and I never get tired of it. I love hearing <laughs> the origin story. What's the first time you remember kind of getting into MMA? Uh, so I started off. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps. I was just doing the typical lift weights and run, bored out of my mind, but trying to push myself to new levels. And uh, a few of the people I worked with said, check out MMA. We didn't really have the opportunity to do it because I was in Iraq, but I was able to get a hold of the BJ Penn book, started doing some of just the fitness workouts that he had in there and the diet, and I really liked it. And decided when I got back from Iraq that I needed to really commit to MMA and try it out. Uh, my roommates, I was on Mopey. I got out of the Marine Corps. I couldn't find a job. And I had been searching for a year and just to no avail. And my roommates were like, hey, you know what? You kept talking about MOA, MMA. That was your whole point when you got out. Uh, we all shared one key, six of us to one key. So, like, get out of the house. You can come back once you go check out that MMA gym uh, down the street. So, I got locked out. Had no choice. Went, checked out the gym. Did, I think, like six hours straight. Fell in love with it. And I've never looked back. See, this is why we ask this question. It's never a dull answer. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> so your next fight is December 9th at Bellator 289. I mean, we all have different times where we're training, and then we really kick it up when people are, you know, quote, unquote, in camp. Would you say you're just yes. training right now, or would you say you are what we would call in camp? I am officially in camp. Okay. And then what would you say is kind of the main difference between – um, just training to maintain and improve, and then what you know what we would describe as camp for a fight. 
Yeah, so uh, typically I do um, stylized training. So in other words, I'll do like an hour of jiu-jitsu instructor uh, instruction, an hour of striking instruction. And then um, in the afternoon, I may go do something like judo and wrestling. I may go do strength and conditioning, or I just enjoy the time with the family and kind of do some exercises and fun stuff with them. When I'm in fight camp, it's strict. There are no afternoon evenings off. It's those two hours in the morning that I work with one of my trainers who work on fight specific stuff. Then I either have judo, wrestling, strength and conditioning. I have pro practice and cardio, sauna, ice baths, massage, chiropractic, IV injections, everything. So I usually do between driving and just um, doing the actual training camp. It's usually about an eight hour work day or so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that, um, you know, a lot of people listening may not understand the, the main differences of it. It's just it's ramped up to a level that unless you've been there and done it, it's something you just cannot understand. So this is going to be a rematch from April 22nd with Juliana Vasquez. This is the first immediate rematch of your pro career. Are there any advantages that you feel like in fighting somebody you literally fought less than a year ago and were able to finish? Is there any advantages with that or is it just whole new fight? Everything's new. You know, kind of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in some ways, I think that there is an advantage. Um, I don't want to discredit the idea that she's coming out here to try and get that belt back. So she's going to do everything she can to grow and change from the last time I saw her. Um, but in following fight tape and all of her fights, she hasn't really changed. So I have that advantage and haven't been able to pick apart her game and finish her last time. But like I said, I treat every fight as though it's the first, whether I'm rematching somebody it doesn't matter. I just want to treat it as though I'm facing a brand new opponent and give everything I have to it. Absolutely. Now, we talk about the word the word pioneer gets used very liberally in the sports world, and MMA in particular. But you are an absolute concrete example of being a pioneer of women's MMA. One half of the very first ever UFC women's fight and the entire history of the promotion. That being said, that was nearly 10 years ago. I'm talking about right now. Right now, you are the Bellator flyweight champion of the world. Right now, from the outside looking in, you are the absolute best, most diverse, sharpest, um, you know, most more explosive. I mean, everything about your game from the outside looking in seems to have been just gotten better and better as time has gone on. What do you feel like has been the biggest improvement in that time from, let's say, that UFC debut to where you are in your career right now, Liz? I think there's a lot of things to contribute to that. Um, one, I put a different focus on my fight career before I was trying to manage uh, being a full-time student, working at a gym full-time and training full-time. It was just split too thin. And then as the careers went on, eventually I was just owning and operating gyms and bouncing from gym to gym on top of my own fight career. And I finally was able to step away from that and just focus on being a full-time fighter. Um, so I'm able to put my recovery and the needs of my fight career first I've now also brought it down to the science. Instead of doing that old school, just guessing, well, I feel good. Now I do like the blood work. I do uh, checking your heart rate, uh, seeing where my VO2 max is, my lactic threshold. So I, I really put a science behind it to understand exactly where I'm supposed to be. So that way I can be as sharp as possible. And then I also uh, switched gyms. And so my four fight win streak has come because I finally swapped over to a gym and with different coaches that I've been working with part time here and there, but finally committed full time with them. And it made a huge difference in my performance and my confidence, and my abilities. Four fight win streak, including three finishes. Let's make sure we don't leave that part out because people love and I've talked about this um, with various other fighters on the show. People love to talk about the, you know, there's not enough. There's a lack of finishes. There's a lack of finishing sequences, uh, particularly in the lighter weight classes. You're you're throwing that narrative completely on his head and I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gorilla has been your nickname for a really long time, but I really I don't know the origin story behind it. I don't know where that came from. So where did that come from and who gave it to you? Uh, my old coach, Manolo Hernandez, is one that gave it to me. Um, I was constantly, they used to, we had two different cages, one of which was really high. And they would lock me in and, and they would just kind of forget me like, oh, yeah, you guys have been in there for 40 minutes after an already <laughs> hour-long practice. My bad. And I would always just monkey my way, climb out, undo it, let us all out if I felt like it. Or if I wanted to keep going, make everybody stay with me and keep training. Um and then just stylistically, I just had this weird brute strength and would pick up anybody. And I had no idea what I was doing because I was brand new, but just pick them up as high as I could. I was climbing and bouncing off the cage and just the overall strength in the faces that I make. He's like, you know what? You're just like a like a big gorilla. You're so strong. You're so ha. Boom. That's your fight name. It's the gorilla. 
it. So you mentioned you you know you were in the Marine Corps and you've also been on the business side of things with gyms. Let, let's say that for some reason there was no MMA, there was no career to be had in that realm. What do you think you would be doing, you know, outside of the MMA world as far as a career goes? Oh, man. Um, I mean, MMA in a lot of ways saved my life and it changed my life. Um, I wouldn't have been in the gym industry at all had it not been for MMA because that's really what got my foot in the door and eventually progressed that part of my career. Um, so I think that I would have continued with school, which is what I hated, but that's what I was doing is I was taking advantage of that GI Bill. I was going to school full time. I think I would have had to have stuck with it and eventually done like the typical nine to five behind a desk, pulling my hair out, losing my mind, <laughs> wishing I had a way to get out all that, that aggression that was building up inside. Uh, so I'd probably be, I was at the time I was working towards a kinesiology degree. I okay. wanted to do sports nutrition and sports psychology. So I probably would have some way made my way back to martial arts in some way, but different. It probably would have been helping people out with sports psychology. Excellent. Now, those of us who follow you on Instagram, which there are a lot of us, I am certain, have all seen that you've been riding. Do you, do you call those motorcycles? Do you call them trikes? What what are those? What are what is that machine you've been riding on? <laughs> uh, that's a Can Am Riker. A Can Am Riker. Okay. And uh, what? <laughs> how has that been? Have you had those for a long time? They look really new. Uh, it, it is new. I have not had it for a long time at all. I um, was fortunate to be able to partner up with a, a nonprofit Road Warrior Foundation, and I got to participate in a cross-country ride with some really amazing veterans from all walks of life, and um, some with disabilities, some without. And um, one of the things we got to do that allowed even these people with physical disabilities unable to drive, allowed them to do a cross-country ride, was the Can-Am on-road. And they offer Rikers and Spiders, so they would do adaptive pieces on the Can-Am spider that allowed them to do the cross-country ride and at first i was like oh three wheels i'm like that's a retirement thing that's something you do when you're old that's not something you do when you're young <laughs> um but one seeing these veterans that they were young but they were injured and they were having there's no way that they could have rode under normal circumstances and yet they were able to complete that i was like okay this is a pretty amazing vehicle that can do these things and allow for any be able to ride it and also doing that cross-country ride at one point, I was just a little bit tired and kind of passed out for a second at the wheel. I'm like, oh, my God, if this had been two wheels, I would be dead right now. There is wow. no way. Thankfully, it, it has a stability on it where I, I stayed steady at the wheel and going. I'm like, oh, okay, there's there's definitely a lot more to this. When we went through a cold front, I was able to put on the uh, steering wheel heat, the warmers. And uh, I could play music and I was going, I was like, okay, I talked a lot of crap about these things, but they're actually really comfortable and really nice for a long ride. And when I'd gone like over a 35, 45 minute ride on my motorcycle, I was hurting getting off. There was no hurting getting off the spider and the Riker. I'm so glad I asked that, dude. That ended up being an amazing kind of heartwarming story of mine. So that's fucking amazing. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit, Liz. We're, we are in the ninth round, which is one of my favorites. And it's a, it's a fan favorite as well. No matter what, we always have to cut weight. It's just part of the game. It's part of what we do as professional fighters. Weight cutting is just an essential thing. Now, when we're doing that, we have to cut out some of the things that we love. We have to cut out some of the things that we normally can have in our diets. We've got to eat really clean. So once the fight is over, you've already won, you've had your hand raised, you're out with your friends, your family, your teammates, and it's time to really indulge on something you've kind of deprived yourself <laughs> of. What are you throwing down on and where are you getting it from? Uh, so it's probably going to be all things ube. So it's going to be uh, boba ube. I usually go to Kung Fu Tea. Um, and then uh, there's this place called All Things Ube Desserts. Somo Somo Ice Cream that has ube and pandan. Um, yeah, there's all these places, 86 Cafe in San Diego. I lose my mind on all that stuff. And thankfully, some of my friends usually are like, hey, we were waiting for you. Here's more food than you can possibly eat for 10 people. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh great. I have to finish this before it goes bad. Um, so it's usually Ube stuff, steak, French fries, uh, but definitely Ube. Ube is always at the top of the list of things I have to get back in my system. Absolutely. I love it. All right. We've careened our way into the 10th round, Liz, which is the easiest round of them all. Just share your social media with everybody. So everybody, the Rhino gang can kind of follow you along in your career moving forward and kind of get on the train of uh, the girl real trade as it moves forward. Yep, so I am on Facebook and I am uh, Liz Carmouche Official, and then I'm also on 
Instagram as I am Gorilla. Excellent. Well, Fight Fam, as we know, this is this is somebody I'm so stoked to have on the show. I've absolutely talked about her before. Big, humongous, ginormous fan of, of Liz Carmouche, the current Bellator 125-pound champion. We are so stoked to watch you fight at Bellator uh, is Bellator 289, which is on December 9th. So we're going to watch you defend that title. Liz, we cannot tell you how much. We know how busy your schedule is. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to go 10 rounds a day. And great luck. Uh, best of luck and best of skill moving forward, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. This is Liz Gorilla Carmouche, and I just went 10 rounds with Todd Rhino. Liz, I can't tell you what a pleasure it was to talk to you, my friend. That was so awesome. We are so stoked that you are the champion. You're going to be defending your belt again soon. Can't wait to watch you and kick some more ass. Uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. All right, let's do another shout-out to our outro store forum contributors. To the Rage of Sweet Potato. To Jim Asoon. To the Scream Queen Supreme Jess. <laughs> to Ashley the Elevator. To my homie the Doc. To Fabian, the man of mayhem. To Ty, the fly guy from the Front Kicks and Throw Cuddles pod. Times two. Thank you, brother. To our homie, the Juicy Fruit, Bebe from Friendly Sparring Pod. To APB, the, the best co-host. I love you. You're the awesomest. I love you, love you, love you. I, and you really got me with the, uh, I had three lady bombers, but didn't come. That was amazing. And I was not ready for it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> also to Miss Fight Diva. To Chris from Unmatched MMA. To Kairos, to all the ladies from the PRG, to Jillian, Monica, Chrissy, Katie, and Jason, my underdog MMA fam, to Mike Morgan, to Jessica from What's Up Weirdo Pod, to Brat, to Sanga, Tom and Sandy, our girl Tempting Tori, of course, to the feature play Andrea, to D Reigns, the best engineer in the biz, to Dave Fretz, the eye inside of Gravity Design, who came up with a yet another banger poster. Make sure you check him out on Twitter and Instagram at Dave Fretz. For the absolute best of the best in the eye inside of graphic design, he's the man. So we appreciate you, Dave. As we love to say around here, folks, let's try to be kind. It's hard enough out there without people fucking, you know, messing with you and being shitty and you doing the same to others. So be kind. Get a hold of somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Reconnect. As we love to say also around here every week, love is greater than hate. And we will see you next week. Kate Sun!